not known for our sex talks in this country. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't told about the birds and the bees uh, when I was young. And as for consent, that wasn't kind of really discussed, was it? I mean, well, but look, I'm 60. But I will be asking you, did you get the sex talk when you were young? And what was it like? I mean, that's not the case these days, of course. More and more people we're hearing from, parenting experts, etc., and how to, you know, broach these topics with your children. And communication is the essential part of parenting. For many parents, though, it feels like a bit of a minefield, and a bit embarrassing as well, and how young is too young, and what is the right age, and what's the appropriate language for that age group, and when should you talk to your children about bodily autonomy, for example? I mean, little Annie doesn't want to hug her auntie, is that okay? You know, it, I mean, in the past, we would have been told, hug your auntie. Well, because it was rude not to hug your auntie or kiss your granny before you left. But nowadays, there's a kind of different thinking on those things. I'm a bit old school. I'd probably still say kiss your granny. Anyway, here to talk about that a little bit more is occupational therapist and sex educator Sarah Sproul. Good afternoon to you, Sarah. Hi, Niall. Thanks for having me on. It's such an important topic of conversation. I'm glad we're talking about it. Well, look, Sarah, see, like me, I think you were secretly a bit of a conservative because you were <laughs> you were brought up in a very religious background in Australia and then you moved to Ireland. You've been living here for 22 years. So you're kind of familiar with the kind of awkwardness of the whole thing, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. My Both my parents were missionaries and they worked for a church. So there was not a lot of free chat about um, things to do with the body. And I went to school where that classic thing where they put the ruler between you if you were dancing with someone else to make sure there was just that right amount of space, you know, so Jesus could see in, all that sort of thing. So that's why, like, like I completely understand living in this country, but there's a very similar experience so Ireland is we're not on our own when it comes to sort of having difficult time talking about this part of but let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about I, I used to call mm-hmm. it the Catholic handcuffs all right and mm-hmm. we many years ago decided on a radio station I was working in let's do a sex show on a, on a Friday night we'll get a sex therapist on and let callers ring in and they'll answer questions it'll be great mm-hmm. nobody called in Irish people, now, I think it's changed a little bit in the last 15 to 20 years, but they have this hang-up about talking about sex. I can get as many Americans or Australians or New Zealanders or whatever on the air, and they will talk about every bit of the body, you know, and it doesn't matter. It's biological. We can do that. They could talk about every bit of the body, but get an Irish person on, and they're using funny words. They start using odd, you know... (laughs) Your pee pee and things like that, you know, they're afraid to say the words. And you know what? It's not anyone's fault. It's not like down to the individual person, like that they're wrong or bad for not being able to do it. We are all a product of our conditioning, you know. And if we've been brought up in a culture that it was danger, actually, sort of psychologically dangerous to be open about sexuality, and certainly, you know, we know in this country the history of um, of how single mums were treated, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's physically dangerous. So it's a protective factor for yeah. all of us that can't speak up about those things. So it makes sense that we can't do it. And at the same time, the children we are raising really need us to break that pattern 
because we're growing up in a different world now and information is so important. Of course, because they're getting the information from the internet when I was young. Mm-hmm. You know, the best I got at 13 years of age was somebody come home from England with a Mayfair magazine because they were illegal in this country. So that was really, that was my sex education. So mm-hmm. nowadays, uh, and I've seen startling statistics recently that, you know, 11-year-olds are seeing porn on the internet. So we need to get to them first. So what is the right age to start that conversation? So in my work, um, I'm telling parents that conversations with two-year-olds are possible. And we can even start preparing ourselves when our kids are younger than that to get more comfortable with the words we need to say. So for example, you use the example of PP. Um, but could it be possible when our newborn is home with us that we start, every time we change a nappy, we say, look, here I am, I'm just going to, you know, um, uh, make sure a penis is clean or look after your vulva so you don't get sore and we'll do this together and it all will be well. And there's no one listening except ourselves and our newborn. So you're getting yourself used to the conversation. Yeah, That's exactly right because um, just like anything in parenting, we need to be able to do whatever the thing is to sort of support our child. Say, say we didn't have access to swimming lessons, for example, and we were trying to teach our kid to swim. If we didn't know how to do that, it would be so difficult because you know, we'd be feeling anxious and afraid and every time they tried to jump off the edge of the pool, we'd be, you know, we'd be scared and we'd be saying, be careful, be careful. So we do need a sort of a, a baseline amount of comfort. But, you know, how do we do that? Like, that's not something that you can just conjure out of thin air. We all need support to develop mm-hmm. that. So should we get the books that are available for young children, which talk about, you know, relationships and sex in an appropriate manner, in an age-appropriate manner. Should we get those and read them ourselves so as we're familiar with the way that we should be teaching our children? I mean, that's a really great idea, and um, it's certainly a good start. Another way to do it is to be in, like, listen to media. So this, for example, so we're using accurate names for genitals and Mm. talking about this simply. You can find podcasts because the more we sort of allow ourselves to be in the company of people who are maybe more comfortable with this, that, that is, um, it's, it's, it's not addictive, but it, it can change the way our mind thinks about words and conversations because we're hearing a different way. We're seeing a different attitude modeled and that can make a huge And should we abandon all the old stuff? Like, you know, the, the stalk brings the baby or we found him under a cabbage patch or, or, you know, where does the baby come from? Mammy's bum. Should we, should we abandon all that kind of stuff? Is that bad to be doing that kind of stuff? Here's the, here's the thing. Do we want to be able to stay connected with our kids and young people as they grow up? And if the answer is yes, then we need to be able to talk about the things that are going to be relevant to them. And we need to show up as adults who are able to hear the whole complexity of, you know, being human. So if you've only had a conversation about the stalk or the cabbage patch and your nine-year-old is in the playground at school and hears someone talk about a penis in a vagina, for example... If we haven't had that conversation at home and shown them that we say those words, we talk about that thing, they're less likely to come and ask us about it because we have inadvertently created a culture of sort of silence and we don't talk about these things here. And we didn't do it on purpose. But it mm. happens just because we weren't making the effort. Are we naive? I mean, our, our kind of 12 to 13-year-olds, for example, who just started secondary school, 
Are we mm. naive in thinking, you know, say for example, a kind of scene comes on TV at eight o'clock at night or it's nine o'clock at night where two people are lying on a bed on top of each other and we're kind of going, mm. oh, quick, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off, quick. Oh, she's <laughs> Are we naive in thinking that they know nothing about that? Because we kind of pretend to ourselves they're really innocent. They don't know anything about that stuff. So let's just turn it off. We're kind of naive as parents, aren't we? Or it's a protection I, method because we want them to be innocent. Look, I'm sure there are uh, some kids who are just completely fixated on Lego, for example, or um, some other, like dinosaurs or dogs. But most other children will have heard lots of things or seen things online. And you're right, you know, it's not just about, you know, seeing sexually explicit content online, for example. It's about the advertisements that they see on the bus, about shaving legs or... um, sort of things to do with diet culture. Or talking to all a young daughter about stuff. periods and, and, and she's seeing ads yeah. all the time for it and you're not having yeah. to haven't even explained it to her. Exactly. So it's about do we want to be the first people in our kids' lives to talk about these things and sort of show them that we're here for them and they can mm-hmm. come and ask us anything? Or are we going to be playing catch up and dealing with the things that they've already seen sort of in retrospect? Yeah. Okay. So you also mentioned as well, you were talking to my producer, but we were talking about consent and it's very important, something that yeah. was never discussed when I was in school, of course, but nowadays it's very much a thing that we need to talk about. And that could come in from a very young age about, you know, not touching somebody or putting your arm around somebody or mm-hmm. whatever it is without kind of some sort of consent or a body language. Although I do believe the consent can be sometimes done through body language as well. And we, we know that in relationships, right? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's not always verbal. Like, do you mind no. if I do this? But I, but yeah. it, you you mentioned that there's actually a storyline for those who are fans of Coronation Street. There's a storyline coming mm-hmm. up too in relation to you know alcohol and non-consensual acts. That I, I have to find. I say I'm. A, it's my so my kind of secret thing that I watch Coronation Street. <laughs> right, it's my guilty <laughs> pleasure. With me, Niall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure, right? But in any way. I find they do bring out some wonderful issues in societal issues and bring them out to the fore. So, I mean, I'm not familiar with this part of the storyline and and maybe you're going to give me a spoiler here now, but let us know, what what is actually happening? So, I think it's the characters Amy and Aaron. Does that sound right to you? Yes, Um, it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they're going to be drinking tonight for various reasons and Amy is going to sort of say, oh, I'm too drunk, I'm going back to my room and Aaron is actually going to follow her and there's going to be, well, in in some articles I've read, they've called it um, sex. It's not sex, it's assault, right? Yeah. So he, he's going he to He takes have, advantage of her. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, so this is going to say, say that because this program is out there now, some maybe kids in or young people in your um, child's social circle might be watching that or they might see shorts of it on social media or things like that. So we need to be able to have conversations, hopefully before programs like this come out, about um, what consent is, what consensual sharing of bodies is like, um, how we're allowed to talk about the really difficult parts of being human and what happens when things go, go wrong, right? So oftentimes in families, we will want to protect our children and young people from really difficult things. Like I remember, I think my daughter was eight and a, uh, a story came on the radio about a rape that was being prosecuted in the courts. And she asked me, what's rape, mom? And I had to say, you know what? 
I wish I didn't have to tell you about this, but I'm so glad you asked me because it's an important part of our world that's Mm. a bit broken. And so we talked about, you know, that um, there are people that hurt other people and um, sometimes they do it in the like the genital parts yeah. of our body or using the genital parts of their body yeah. and that sometimes that happens maybe because that other person just believes they're allowed to do something to a person's body just because they want to or maybe they do it because they actually don't know any different so when you were having that conversation answer. i suppose take let them take yeah. the lead a little bit and ask a few more questions for you to answer i suppose because sometimes yeah. you find you find yourself as an adult you know, when you get into those mm-hmm. conversations with a younger person, they're kind of blurting out things that you maybe shouldn't, yeah. you know, because you get too comfortable then. So I, I, I think probably, you know, I, I'm assuming once you say something like that, they might ask and they might go, but why, mommy? You know, or whatever. You know? So they'll ask yeah. you more questions because children are so inquisitive. They, they really and, and are. They may ask more questions and some kids don't actually, Niall, you know. And so it's our responsibility as the adult to maybe come back the following day and say, you know, I was thinking about that question you asked me yesterday and I really loved the way we could talk about something that is difficult like that because um, it shows me that you're really thinking about growing up or you're thinking about what the world is like. And, and so, yes, we can respond to our children's questions, but it's absolutely our, our you know, an important part of parenting that we introduce things that are going to help our kids be safe um, without waiting for them. Just like we would start teaching our kids table manners before they ask us to, it's that same yeah. dynamic. It's an interesting text, by the way. It says, a lot of adults don't even know about the female anatomy, as seen in much of the research. If they don't know, how can they expect these parents to talk about it properly, about these issues with such young children? That is a really good point, because from our generation, or some of our mm. generation, depending on which gen we're from, um, a lot of people, they don't know, you know, they, they don't know, you know, the different parts of the vagina, the different parts of the penis. They don't know about, yeah. you know, libido, but all those other things, you know, sexual acts, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't really know too much about it. They're a bit naive. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard for those parents to talk. Is it good to get them a book? Is it, I mean, I remember years ago, the thing was with every girl, you handed the, what was the name of that book? Every woman was just handed to a young girl <laughs> when she got to kind of 12, 13 years of age. Hey, read that, you'll be grand. I mean, yes. is a book good? Books, yeah, books play an important role, but I wouldn't be waiting till 12 or 13. I'd be saying like, when you have a two-year-old who is interested in their body, like there are books you can get. I think one of them is um, Your Whole Body by Lizzie Chabonneau, and it's, a body book that you would read to a small child, but it also has the genitals in it, really clearly diagrammed. So we're looking at the head, the neck, the arms, the legs, the genitals, the torso. And so it becomes part of everyday life. So you can actually learn alongside your toddler and like work out the anatomy, like what is the clitoris? What is the foreskin? And um, get clearer at the same time that you're teaching mm-hmm. them. I'm looking at this question coming in over here. Somebody says, by the way, I'm a dad. And my wife has passed mm. away. I'm worried about mm. talking to my daughters about periods and sex. Yeah. Have you any advice? It is more difficult for a man to talk to a young girl about periods, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And do you know what I'd say to that lovely dad? That it's not his fault that it's more difficult. In fact, that men in our culture, they're not given permission to sort of talk about things like this with 
kids, particularly girls, sometimes there can be that sort of overlay of, ooh, males are a little bit dangerous when it comes to growing um, mm. young women. And that's, that's terrible because... Completely untrue, of course, yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so um, there's a burden of sort of fear about getting it wrong and what people will think if he has that conversation. So what I would say is that um, to give himself some compassion about the fact that the job is difficult and then to, if possible, find a relative he trusts who loved his girls and is willing to have a conversation like that. And it may be actually that there isn't a person like that around and then it's well worth reaching out to a sexuality educator or someone like me who can, like I have a, a training on how to talk to young people about mm-hmm. periods and it gives all the language and the books to use and whatever. And, and there's, there's sort of some, some safety around getting ex- clear instructions. Do this, do this, do this. And there's, you can buy kits, and I believe in chemists and all sorts of things now for young people yeah. starting off on that road. Also, so he says, I'm a parent and a victim of sexual assault. I find these conversations very triggering. What would yeah. you advise? I don't want to pass on my issues to my children. Yeah, and um, just to say that that experience, having that experience, of course, it makes sense that is going to be triggering to, because what you're doing is you're changing patterns and... Um, it also brings up what we didn't, and I'm going to say we because I didn't get it either, what we didn't get as young people, what information we didn't get, what support we didn't get that meant that we were um, more at risk of being abused, right? Mm. So um, it's it's all about um, how can we find the smallest, safest conversation to start. Like, it may be that, yes, we can't talk about abuse because it's too difficult, but could it be possible to talk about um, getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a special friend, for example, and focusing on the positives? Because that's one of the other things we do as adults. We often focus a lot on the negative parts and when things go wrong in relationships and sexuality. So it can be quite refreshing for ourselves as well as our growing young people to have conversations about the joy of a crush, for example. and um, Terror, and, It's terrorizing for a parent to find out that yes. your little daughter suddenly has a boyfriend and she's only 13 oh, or 12 God. years of age. You're so right. <laughs> You're so right. But it, if we want to build connection and we want to stay relevant, then um, we need to sort of, um, how can we look at those emotions we have in ourselves and understand why we have them because we're trying to protect our kid and at the same time understand that actually the most protective thing we can do for our young person is to acknowledge the reality of their life okay. and show them that we're here for them. Okay, there's just a couple of more questions I'm going to ask you. People are sending in here just while we have you on the air and I appreciate you answering mm-hmm. them. I found my teenage son's porn. I'm horrified. No idea what to do. Pornography... Does it have any role whatsoever? I mean, I know people have different views of pornography. As an adult, of course, be, you know, mm. you're a consenting adult. You're welcome to watch it, et cetera, et cetera, no matter what your view happens yeah. to be either way. Yeah. Yeah. But in relation to children, it can have a devastating effect as well on children because it, has very, it gives very high expectations of both girls and boys to some degree as well. Um, so is there any benefits at all to pornography? For children, absolutely not. Mm. Um, uh, for young people sort of later teenage years, the research shows that particularly if they um, if they're, they're something specific about their body that's, 
they don't like or they're um, questioning their gender or um, they have a sexual orientation that is not that mainstream straight sexual orientation, they can find um, other people like themselves in, in you know, explicit sexual content, content. And that means they don't feel alone and they don't feel like they're bad or wrong. Mm. But apart from that... Um, so what did this mother do with a, with a teenage son? Now, she doesn't yeah. say teenage can mean anywhere between 13 and 19. But well, yeah. let's, let's assume that he's only 13 or 14 years of age. What should she do about yeah. the porn? So um, it will be, it's a problem that's developed over time. So it's going to take time to, um, to sort of make amends. And the first, thing, first conversation that I recommend parents have with, in this situation would be to apologize. And that, that would sound something like, um, I need to apologize to you because I realized my job was to keep you safe and give you lots of information and support so that you can grow up, um, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, all the things you want. So never let them but think I, they've done something wrong, in other words. Yes. No, because the, because if we do that, if we place the blame on them, where is the openness? And they, yeah, they'll never it? tell you again, of course. Yeah, because That's they feel exactly right. Yeah. So I'm, for that parent that, that asked that question, it is a very difficult situation and really it's about seeking maybe a, a support of the steps you need to take over a period of time. And it's a long process, but I have absolutely worked with parents who have come out the other side and have a really good relationship with their lad when they've had this exact same situation. So there is hope. Mm. Okay, um, another question for you here. Um, I've heard my son's friends talking about sex and girls. They are teenagers. I really disapprove of what I've heard. What should I do? I'm concerned about uh, who he is spending time with. Well, I don't think you can remove him from that, really, can you? It's hard because if we, um, if we as parents are saying, oh, that person's not good to hang around with, then our young person is just going to want to hang around with them more if they like them. But um, mm. again, when our young people are older oftentimes and i'm sorry to have to say this the ship has sailed in terms of absolutely um, um <laughs> those conversations are going to happen right yeah. yeah and so there's a lot of there'll be a lot of silence and they won't want to talk to us so it's far more about um picking your moments when you can um and having a foundation of respect and finding things about your kid that you really admire and really like and talking a lot about those things in everyday life. And then when you have them in the car, maybe once a week, you can ask a question. So you never, you wouldn't lecture, but you would say, you know, I've been hearing people talk about Andrew Tate, for example. And um, oh, gosh. what, what yeah. do you know? What, what's your view on him? What do your friends think? Mm. That question is really good. What do your friends think? Okay, by the way, just um, a word of warning to all parents out there. If, you, if your kids are looking at Andrew Tate videos, have a chat with them. They need to be talked to because oh, he's not somebody you want to see so as a role model. Yeah, it's yeah. horrible. But, but you're asking for their view and you are modeling again that you're here to listen. And, um, and the tricky thing is you need to be empathetic because there will always be a logic as to why they're saying these things. And particularly for boys at the moment, um, there is a lot of negativity about masculine about masculinity. There's yep. a lot of talk about toxic masculinity, and there is not a lot of talk about masculinity as a. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. We, we need to. I think we need to, because you are right. 
uh, you know, at the moment there is a lot of negativity around masculinity and toxic masculinity. Mm. I think we need to reassure boys there's nothing wrong with being masculine and reassure girls yeah. there's nothing wrong with being feminine. I mean, mm. these are traits within the, within our genders or within our sexuality which are quite acceptable. Somebody said, great topic, Not Does she recommend anything about how to remove sexual shame? Now, I'm unsure exactly what they mean by that, but maybe you would have a better idea. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I do. Uh, so the, the first step, if we feel ashamed of our sexuality, right, mm-hmm. um, the first step is actually to accept that that shame is reasonable and normal considering the upbringing that we had. So rather than sort of pushing the shame away and wishing it wasn't there and, and trying to be sort of down with all the latest sexual things, how could it be possible to give ourselves space and time to really feel into why that shame is there and how can we can care for ourselves mm-hmm. um, with that part of our upbringing in our life? Because if we can give ourselves time and we don't rush into it and it could take a year, it could take more than a year, you know, we come out the other end with a deep, compassionate understanding of who we are as a person yep. and in a much better place then to take on maybe a challenge like a new partner or a new position or, a, you know, whatever, whatever we're going to do. Mm. All right, lots of people with different views, by the way, of Andrew Tate coming in. <laughs> Mm, yeah, yeah. I, would be, I would be concerned if you're a fan <laughs> that's all I'd say mm, um, yeah. okay and I'm not talking about his opinions on life in general I'm talking about his, um, his absolute I mean he's a misogynist and there's just no doubt about it yeah. Uh, yeah. look listen thank you very much indeed you've been very helpful a lot of people listening and, and I am going to be asking the question when you leave I'm going to be asking people to phone in and ask when they had the talk and when their parents spoke to mm. them and <laughs> when they had the talk with their children and how that went so mm. I, I, I think I think we're all in agreement that the talk should happen as soon as you, it it should happen, if you know what I mean, from the very early age, but in a very age-appropriate fashion, obviously. Exactly. That's exactly right, Niall. Thanks so much for talking about this. It helps everyone who hears it. All right. Thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air. Sarah Sproul, who is a occupational therapist and sex educator. Now, hmm, I'm wondering, what is the right age? Now, don't use me as some sort of barometer because it never happened. And I think most people in around my age at 59 years of age, it never happened. We never had the conversation. Our parents didn't talk about sex. You know, the, nobody brought me into a room and said, right, Lyle, this is what you do, all right? You get her into bed. and you do. Nobody had that conversation because it just didn't happen in my day. But it's a conversation that young people now and young parents now, or kind of more modern parents, are having with their children, which is really important. Because you don't want your children to learn sexual activity and how to engage in sexual activity from the internet and from pornography. They need to hear it from somebody more responsible, i.e. the parents and the people who care about them. So, what what is the right age? Did you have that conversation yet? Are you embarrassed to have that conversation? And when did your parents have it with you? Ireland's Classic Hits Radio. Parents today don't seem to realise that kids, particularly teenagers, they need privacy. Mm. They need time to work things out. And they don't do that with the parents' input all the time, telling them this, telling them that. That's the trouble today. Parents want to be involved far too much in in their kids' lives uh, and their private lives and that. Like, they're entitled to a bit of privacy to figure things out. It's, uh, you know, it's just going too far. Okay, I get you. Yeah, some parents want to be their their child's best friend. Joanna, you're on Ireland's Classics Radio. How are you doing, Joanna? 
Hi, Niall. How are you? Good. Joanna, did, I mean, look, you've got four kids, haven't you? I have. Yeah, have you had the, have, what's the age group again? What's the, what's the ages of them? And um, From nine to 16. Okay, so you're, you're in and around exactly the right and time. You know you? what? It, it's absolutely strange because um, from quarter to 11 to quarter to 12, I had a conversation on the phone with my daughter's head teacher. Okay. And she came home to me in tears. I'm very upset, I am. Oh, okay. But anyway... I'm sorry I think I told you about my daughter before that she's very okay. But well, let's not, let's not get into too much yeah, of the other aspects I, I, of your I, life. I know I get you. I get you. Yeah, yeah. But but in relation to the conversations, and I'm sorry, I'm not disregarding what you're saying. No, I, I understand. I know yeah. you're short for time. I understand. No, no, Joanna, <laughs> it's not that. It's just that I obviously can't talk about the issues with your daughter without your daughter being present. No, I know, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, and I hope everything works out, and I hope it works out with the principal. I hope you get it all sorted out for your daughter's sake. But Joanna, in relation to your children, you know, did, did you have the conversation about sex with them? Do you know something? <laughs> Maybe people will argue with me. I don't think kids need to know about uh, um, intercourse and all that stuff in primary school. I really don't think they need to know about it. So when we say primary school, that's up to the age of I, 12. I, I, yeah. I, I do believe that they need to know that um, nobody should touch you in certain places and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. But you don't need to know about anything else. I, I mean, well, do, do you think? Okay, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. You want to try and keep children as being children for as long absolutely, as possible. But, absolutely. But here's the thing. And this Secondary one was... Secondary school, perfect. Yeah, but what concerns me, Joanna, is that children have access to information that I we know. never See, had access to. I know. Yeah, but then that's down to the parents. You mm. have to monitor what they're watching. And you can do, you can monitor that while they're at home, but when they're standing beside their mate who has the latest iPhone, you can't monitor it. Mm. Well, you know, when they're out in the playground and their mate has an iPhone at 12 or 11 years of age. I know, I, I, I understand that. But see, if in, um, they get home from school, phones are in a little basket, we have dinner together, that's it. And then um, when they're up in their bed, I turn the internet off, and all you hear in my house is at half 10, it's like, oh. And have you had conversations with them, particularly the older of the of the four of them? Have, have you have you conversations about sex? I, I have. I, yeah. I, I I have with um, with my daughter and my son. Yeah. Um. Not my youngest. No, I wouldn't bother with that. Yeah. But my young, my younger, younger one, if you like. Um. He'd be twelve now. Okay. Uh. No. Is, is that a bit awkward? Is it? Awkward. I I kind of sense that he's not ready for the talk. I do. You just kind of sense that some kids are ready, some kids are not. Yeah, and I think as a parent, you have a good idea how mature your child is. I think yeah, that child is ready. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And and of course, you know, Sarah's mentioned that that some kids look will be into their Lego or their PlayStation. There's just no interest in the <laughs> the social aspect of interaction or relationships. But stay there for a second. Let me go to Bernie as well. Bernie, you're an Ireland's classic. It's ready. How you doing, Bernie? Hi, Bernard. How are you? Good. 50 years ago, no talk, of course. No, there was no talk 50 years ago. <laughs> well, not for me, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, don't mind telling my age. I'm 55 this year. And okay. With my parents, obviously, I was brought up in the UK. And sex talks with mum and dad just didn't happen. No. Obviously, there was no social media. So anything I learned, and I, I can't even remember learning it, really, but was through conversations with friends and school. Um, had an older sister, but to be honest, she was she was less clued up than me. Yeah. And I think the best sex advice my father ever gave me 
was when I did uh, you know, get to the age of 16 and I was allowed out with a lad. It was keep your hand on your flannel. <laughs> keep your hand on your flannel. <laughs> and I think that was, you know, I knew exactly what it meant. And you know, So there was a whole thing here in Ireland at one stage for, you know, the young Catholic girls who went to Catholic schools. Yes. And the nuns would tell them, don't let a, or don't sit on a boy's lap unless you put newspaper down first or you might get pregnant. Do you know what I'm saying? But that, that's the thing, you see. I'm, I'm the youngest of four children, and I was obviously I'm a girl. And I had the fear of God put into me about sex. Mm. They didn't talk about, you know, what it was. It was more about don't do it because you, you're going to get don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And in hindsight, I'm glad they were like that. Um, mm. But you know, I, I've got yeah. Well, well, it was a much more innocent society in that sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, kids now. There, there is an argument that they know too much. I, I don't know how true that argument is. Some people might believe that, that children have too much information now when it comes to, I suppose, the intimate act of sex. Do you think Do you think they know too much, children now? They probably know a lot more than me now. <laughs> yeah, um, so they probably do. Probably they do, because they've got, you know, they've got far more sources around how to, how to get it, haven't they? And, mm, mm. Um, but would, I mean, you, would you be able to have a conversation now? Let's say you had a child... Out of 55, you're not, I don't think you're going to be having well, more I've children. I've got two boys. I've got a 26-year-old and a 25-year-old, and I was never embarrassed to have any conversations about sex with them when they were growing up. So can you remember the first conversation you had with them um, about um, sex? I, I remember I remember a, a conversation I had with my, my son when he was about six years old, mm-hmm. and um, he was watching something on the TV, and it was a video, an MTV video or something, and he said to me, Mummy, my, my, he's in other regions, he said, something's going on, it's, it's, something's reacting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, my God. What, what? I called my husband and said, you're going to have to go and talk to him. You need to call your husband, you need to speak did, to him. Because, you know, because it was something that was happening in, in his body. Yeah. Um, and then, then, you know, then we realised at some point we're going to have to sit down. And But we didn't have this sort of, like, big structured thing where we thought, you know, we're going to have to Sit down it just happened over a course of time. It did, and it happened like organically. It just happened, and obviously through school they pick things up. and mm. And I never had any issues with them. I'm so unlucky, really. Yeah. But I wouldn't have been embarrassed to talk to my boys. Is there too now. much emphasis nowadays put on having that structured conversation? Uh, you know, we were talking to Sarah about that earlier Possibly. on. Possibly. Uh, rather than rather than doing it the way we used to do, which you learn as you go yeah. along. Now I do believe there was mistakes made in relation to consent and all sorts of things in relation to that conversa- those conversations we had. But do you believe that we just kind of well, you'll just learn it as you pick it up, and then we'll just clarify everything for you? Well, yeah, I do. I, do. I mean, it, it's difficult, isn't it? It depends on on the individual circumstances and the kids. But I mean, that was my experience, and I, I picked it up, and I learned through seeing things. There was girls at school. That, you know, might have got pregnant when they were fourteen, and it was oh my god, I mustn't do, it. can't do that, that can't happen to me, you know. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, but well, maybe if we had more conversations, because nowadays there's very few teenage pregnancies, and yeah. and a lot of that's to do with contraception, of course, as well. But a lot and of it is to do with being more educated. Children nowadays exactly. are a little bit more educated. They, we didn't have sex education at school. They have um, they have lots of talks nowadays. I, you know, I dare say, and mm-hmm. there's lots more um, mm-hmm. education and, and facilities available for them. Stay there for a second. I want to go to Tia as well. Tia, you're on Ireland's Classic Kids Radio. How are you doing? Good. I mean, Thea, it's a difficult conversation to have with children. I, I don't know whether when that conversation happened with you and do you have it with your children if you have any? 
having the conversation, when he, he does ask questions, both on his mind, he's very open. He, if he ask, you know, when he asks something, I'll try and answer. But I, I, this is my experience. I feel uncomfortable having that conversation. So my husband does a lot of it. But I mean, it, I, I do feel that at the age of, in primary school, like your other caller was saying, to be having these talks, I think it's and why why do you feel why do you feel particularly uncomfortable having the conversation? Is it just something that embarrasses you a little bit? No, it's not really embarrassment. It's more that probably I wasn't hiding from me. Yeah, you know? okay. Because because you didn't have it with your parents. Yeah, which on the other hand I should try and reverse reverse psychology on myself, but it just doesn't seem to work, you know. So I didn't have the guidance, I didn't have a mother growing up and those types of things. So it was very hard for me and um you know, through my teenage years, it was very difficult. I had to discover things on my own. So, well, well, I think that's, I mean, most of us of that, I don't know, I'm not going to ask your age, Thea, but uh, most of us have barely said she was 55, I'm 59. Most of us have experienced that exact same thing that we kind of just learned about it from other people, mates and books and, you know what I mean? I'd say I'm a little bit younger than that. I'm 35. Yeah. But, um, you know, those, those years were my friends were my friends would have had talks with their parents and Yeah, yeah. Whereas in our day, we thought the stock brought them. <laughs> there Sorry? Were, in our days, we thought that this, when we were eight or nine years of age, the stock brought babies. <laughs> and or they were delivered to the front door or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what we thought. Uh, I, used, I used to tell my son that he used to come out of my, he came out of my belly button. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or what was the other thing? He comes out of mammy's bum. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. what I thought about. Oh. <laughs> but I, I think there there is a, a part of everything Sarah said earlier on that I agree with but there's also part of me and I, and that's what myself and Bernie were saying there is that maybe too much information is a bad thing as well that you want to you want to do it in a very measured way you know what I mean yeah you need to they, they need to get their own confidence and discover a few things on their own they need to know the core the core details you know but like all the small little details that they kind of have to work it out on their own as, as well. You can't be you can't be micromanaging every minute of their lives as well. You know that's another thing. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with yeah. you more. I am. All right, listen, thank you very much indeed to both of you. Thank you, and I appreciate you coming on the air. Loads and loads of texts coming in, by the way, in relation to this. Somebody says, no, I couldn't agree with both of those ladies more. I think too much information is a bad thing, but I think it's important that we have to talk to our children. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. That's That's the way it has to be. I do agree with a lot of what Sarah says. I think we need to educate ourselves too. Somebody else says, no, uh, perfect solution. Uh, just buy those books, as you rightly said, that will be recommended for children and educate yourself first because the way we would teach sex education is the way we learned it, which is probably not the best way to teach them. No, probably not. Um, Jude says, it doesn't matter if you get some knowledge from books. Friends, you will still have your own experiences anyway. Are those, no, sorry, that wasn't Jude. I don't know who that was. Um, it was an interesting point. Um, absolutely, we should tell our children from the age of five about the truth about where babies come from and how they get in there in the first place. Yeah, You know, I kind of disagree with you. A five-year-old 
really doesn't need to know, I personally don't believe, how a baby gets in there in the first place. You know, you can tell them that, yeah, I, I think it's it's okay to do the whole, you know, the baby's in mammy's belly and the baby comes out of mammy's belly button or whatever. I don't know, whatever you want to tell them. But I think at five, maybe that's one thing I would disagree with Sarah on. I suppose we could argue about things. <laughs>